blue wire. Blake Griffin has been traded to the Detroit Pistons. Blake Griffin turns, drives, lays it up, lays it in. Reggie Ford, got it. Turns, fires. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pistons versus Everybody, the Detroit Pistons podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lazarus Jackson, and today we are going to talk nothing but Andre Drummond trade scenarios with Jeff Siegel, the an editor at SB Nation's Peachtree Hoops, and also the founder of Early Bird Rights, the NBA website I visit most often during trade season. What's up, Jeff? I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, Early Bird Rights is is the place to be right now for trade stuff and. When trades happen, I've got analysis and cap sheets are updated almost instantaneously, not actually, but pretty much. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's, a, it's a good time of the year for, for me. How do you do it so quickly? Like, I'm legit Everything curious. is automated. So when I need to, like, let's say Andre Drummond gets traded to the Atlanta Hawks for Chandler Parsons and a first round pick or whatever, I'll literally go into Andre Drummond's like player line in Excel and just change DET to ATL, and that's it. Hit save, oh, wow. and it pushes through. So it's, it's. I mean, for a trade, that's all I have to do. Trades are real easy for, from that perspective. Um, you know, even signings, uh, it's basically just like, you know, Washington, Gary Payton II, one-year minimum contract, save, and it's on the site. You know, so it's really, everything is, is automatic. It goes from this big data tab to Washington's cap, you know, their their little you know tab on the on the cap sheets and then it's on the website so it's it's real quick I built it uh, to be fast you know I think that was the one thing that uh, other caps cap sites weren't doing is they would take multiple days to update their stuff and you know I thought uh, yeah you know I could automate this and make it go up in you know a few minutes yeah it's like a little surprising that no one had that idea before I mean but, it was uh, more, complicated more power to you like. It's, it's a complicated workbook that's, you know, very large and cumbersome and, and, you know, automating the entire, you know, salary cap and collective bargaining agreement isn't something that, like, if you're like a lawyer and you understand the cap, like automating that and getting all the formulas right, like, isn't necessarily in your wheelhouse. Uh, but I studied, I studied mathematics and business. And so we used a lot of Excel in, in college and in my, my regular job before I stop doing that to, to do basketball stuff. Um, and so I just sort of was like, I bet I can, I can automate this. And, and automation was a huge part of my day job before I started doing basketball full time. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, I, I would actually like to ask you more questions about this stuff, but we probably should <laughs> get into the Andre Drummond trade discussion. Uh, we got the world report earlier, uh, actually like last week the week has just flown by already that the uh that there was uh discussions about andre drummond on both sides ownership was involved uh for sending andre drummond to the atlanta hawks uh first things first i want to ask you how good of a fit is is andre in atlanta and how poor has the center situation been in atlanta that they think that uh, andre drummond can be like an upgrade there I mean, Alex Len is like by far the Hawks' best center, and he was not like he's good, but he's he's a a solid backup center, you know. And he's making four and a half million dollars, and he's you know that's about right for what he brings to the table, you know. So that's that's what they're sort of working with, and they're 
trying to figure out things like like tonight as we record this they're going to start john collins at center he's you know 610 with a 610 wingspan like not a true center more of a, a small ball kind of look with that you know damian jones was in the rotation and was out of the rotation bruno fernando's a rookie and he's got some you know some upside but of course he's still just a rookie so you know this center their center rotation in atlanta is as bad as it is anywhere in the league and so you know from that perspective drummond would be a, a massive upgrade just being what he is like whether you are in you know whether you really like him or you don't he would be just a huge upgrade for for these hawks well specifically like for the team the hawks are trying to build i guess like would andre be a fit for that type of team that's a more open question they certainly don't have like the center of the future unless bruno is going to be that guy and that you know it's possible but you know he was a second round he's a second round pick like who knows you know where fernando is going to go long term if he's you know, if, if Bruno's not going to be that guy or they don't know, I mean, I can't imagine they know whether he's going to be that guy at this point or not. I don't think, and they don't think that Collins is going to be that guy. You know, I don't think they uh, assess his skill set as being the center of the future, the guy you can start and play, you know, 35 minutes a game at center. I, I think that they, you know, eventually his, his athleticism is going to wane at some point. You know, certainly it's not like on the horizon or anything, but if you're building around John Collins at center long term, he's not going to be able to jump and touch the top of the backboard for the rest of his life. Like that's just not the way that works. And so, you know, 6'10", you know, short arms for a 6'10 guy, not the best defensive instincts. Like he gets cooked in pick and roll pretty much all the time. Like he's, he's very raw in that sense, but he's improved a lot as a team defender, improved a lot as like a rotational uh, you know, rotating to the rim, protecting the rim as a weak side shot blocker, weak side rim protector. That's sort of the, 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 the role that they see for him going forward. So they are, I mean, I think they are going to need like a true center at some point in this, in this rebuild and getting that guy, you know, at some point, you know, relatively soon is going to be, you know, a, a, a important step for them to take because, the defense is is going to be really bad pretty much no matter what when when Trey Young is on the floor like he just he can't stop anything it's not even like he's you know even Devin Booker who doesn't try and doesn't really care about defense at least he's big enough to when like somebody runs into him he can stand up for himself and Trey mm-hmm. can't even do that like and it's so it's it's going to be super important that the rest of the guys around Trey Young are capable defenders and if you draft a guy like James Wiseman, and I don't really even know that much about James Wiseman at this point, but like if you draft a rookie center, it's going to take him a few years to get you know up to speed with with NBA level defense. So I think going for a guy like Drummond, going for a guy who is already established on in the league, will sort of help push help push the Hawks along a little bit uh, faster than drafting somebody. Okay, so that that gets me into a little bit of what I was going to talk about later, but I guess we can talk about it now. So, like, when when was the page supposed to turn on this rebuild, right? Because the team was not expecting to be a well. I don't know if I don't know if internally what their exact expectations were, but you know, project they weren't projected to be a playoff team in the Eastern Conference this season. Maybe they weren't projected to be this bad, but they certainly weren't projected to be you know, much higher than this. And so like with the addition of another lottery pick in this year's draft, another young guy, another like 20 year old, like when was the page supposed to turn on this rebuild? 
I mean, I, I assumed it would center on Trey Young since he's going to be your best player, and you'll be you'd be lucky to get another player as good as Trey Young in this draft, and I think that's unlikely. So was it going to be like year four, year five for Trey? Like when when were they going to push the acceleration? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not. I know from what Travis Schlenk has said publicly, like he has actually come out and said we project this team for about like 30 to 31 wins. And he did, okay. he said that a couple months ago after they got off to kind of a, a rocky start with once John Collins went, went out with the suspension and it was clear like this is, you know, this, this season is sort of, you know, going down the tubes really quickly. He actually right. you know had a press conference and said, you know, even if everybody was healthy and not suspended, they weren't expecting to win much more than like 31 games by, by their projection. So they knew internally, like this was not the year. You know, there was some there were some sort of public expectations from, you know, fans and, and some media that thought like maybe they could push into being a 38, 40, 40 win team to try to get into that that playoff push. But there were no internal expectations that that would be the case. And then when Collins went out with the with the, the 25 game suspension, it was clear like, OK, this is this is it. Like we're, they're, they're not going to the, the playoffs this year. They're not going to make that push this year. The the issue would be internally would be Trey Young and and Tony Ressler the owner, if those guys are sort of talking to each other and talking to everybody else and saying hey, we're not happy with how bad we are. Let's make a move. Those guys have a lot of power within the organization. Obviously, Ressler has all of the power in the organization, and Trey Young as the team's star player can certainly influence Ressler to be a little bit more impatient to try to to try to go for it. I think that's where a lot of this Drummond stuff comes from. Yeah, you, you theorized openly on Twitter that uh, this was this was an ownership mandate. And you had uh, some examples of previous uh, ownership entanglements that uh, could you explain to my audience a little bit? Because that is, that is a big question that we in Pistons uh, fandom land have kind of been worrying, wondering about. Like, why do they have to do this now? Like, we're not complaining. But we're, sure. we're curious, so yeah. draw that I mean, out a little bit. And the the subsequent reporting from I think it was Woj that said like that that ownership was involved on both sides sort of solidified yeah. that that wrestler he's he bought in uh, maybe in twenty fifteen or twenty you know in early twenty sixteen, but he bought yeah, in wait, right before the. So is he a majority owner? Is he the majority yeah, yeah. owner? Is he he's okay? The majority owner. There are a bunch of minority owners. Grant Hill is one of them. Um, Jesse Itzler, Sarah Blakely, there are a handful of minority owners, but he owns more than 50% of the team. Um, and he's the guy who travels with the team and he's like every game and he's, he's a, a relatively front facing owner. Um, but so he, when he, he bought in before the summer of 2016, because that's the summer that they let go of Al Horford and signed Dwight Howard. And it's pretty much an open secret at this point that that was a Tony wrestler decision. He didn't like, he didn't, you know, he and Al didn't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. He didn't want to give Al Horford a max contract, you know, as we saw how that worked out with, with Boston, that would have been a great contract. That would have been much better than giving Dwight, you know, $25 million a year. Um, they wanted to put butts in seats. They thought that Dwight Howard was that sort of superstar to do that. It was not, you know, at this, it was, this is pre Travis Schlank. So this is still the Budenholzer administration and, you know, that wrestler sort of stepped in on that. And that was something that was a, a big part of why they decided to go with Dwight Howard over over Al Horford. You know, a year later, they've got to trade 
you know, to, to get Dwight off the team as they sort of, you know, go into this rebuild. That's when Schlenk comes in and makes, you know, his first move was to get rid of Dwight. And, you know, I think wrestler sort of understood when he signed Travis Schlenk or when, you know, when he signed up with Travis Schlenk, this is going to be a, a multi-year rebuild. We're going to sort of trade off the, the guys that we have and, and let this thing sort of tank a little bit. And then, you know, I think, it's a little bit less of a, of a known quantity, but certainly a uh, wrestler was a big fan of Trey Young's coming into the draft and in the 2018 draft and wanted, he certainly pushed for that to happen, whether he was the sole decision maker on that or not, you know, it is not, uh, is not as known as it is with the Dwight thing, but he certainly, the reasoning behind them sending Luka Doncic and getting Trey Young and a, a future first from Dallas that had wrestlers fingerprints on it as well. And so, you know, you look at those sort of those two things as, you know, two of the biggest things that have happened to the Hawks in the last four years. Uh, you know, certainly the, the Trey Young, Luka Doncic thing. I mean, it's it's we're still halfway through year two, but I think you can say with you know relative certainty that they got that one wrong, that, that Doncic is, is a, another level of player higher than Trey is. And even if Trey becomes sort of a top 15, a consistent top 15 kind of guy, a consistent all NBA you know, second, third team guard, you know, Luca is a, is already an MVP candidate and is a, a you know, a shoe in pretty much for, for all NBA first team. So that difference matters a lot. And especially if you're going for championships. And so the, the two big moves that Schling, that, that wrestlers really had his, his fingerprints in have not totally, you know, ha- haven't really been positive moves certainly. And so whenever, ownership is involved on something like the Drummond trade, or even, even before it was reported that ownership was involved, it was pretty clear that that's what, uh, that that's where this came from. And so, you know, we'll see whether they, you know, how much they trade for Drummond is certainly going to be interesting if they, if they end up doing that. Uh, Schoenk has not necessarily been great at valuing trades, especially draft day trades, like the, the Trey Young, Luka Doncic thing, the trade up for DeAndre Hunter, like that's been a problem for him. Like I don't think he values first round picks and values, you know, draft assets quite like, you know, a lot of other GMs do and quite like a lot of the public people in the public do. So what they trade for him will be interesting and what they decide, you know, how they decide to to go about the rest of the season will be, you know, worth watching. And, and of course, you know, the fact that Drummond can opt out and leave this summer makes that, uh, you know, makes that even more risky. Yeah. Look at that's interesting. I didn't know that the owner also had his hand in the Trey Young deal be- and because the you know general uh, knowledge was that like Schlenk was trying to uh reenact the you know the 2016 Golden State Warriors and Trey Young was going to be a Steph Curry and Kevin Herter was going to be his Clay Thompson so it's interesting to know that um that plan was uh endorsed by the owner and the owner maybe even had like something to do with that agreeing with him on that front. Um, it also kind of doesn't make sense because the, well, it, it makes sense, but the, the 2016 Warriors also didn't have uh, an Andre Drummond or, or a Dwight Howard. So you wonder how kind of those two plans coalesce in the mind of, of wrestler. But, you know, I'm again, I'm not going to question it. I'm just here to, uh, to examine it. Um, so now that we know that ownership is involved on, on both sides, what do you think that the, what do you think the the most the Hawks are willing to part with in order to get Andre Drummond? I mean, it should be it should be Chandler Parsons and the Brooklyn pick this year. 
Uh, they, you know, they have Brooklyn's lottery protected first round pick. It seems like Brooklyn is going to make the playoffs, but Brooklyn is not like a top four seed. It's not like this is the 24th overall pick. It's probably going to be like the 17th or 18th pick in the draft, something like that. You know, I think in a, in a draft that is sort of known to be relatively similar to last year, but, but like without the top end talent. So there's mm-hmm. no Zion, there's no John Morant. It's just the, uh, it, it's just sort of the, the role players from three on down, like there were last year. That's pretty much what this draft looks like. I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to dive into the draft quite yet. I'll, I usually wait until the college season ends and take the next two months to, to really dive into the draft. So I'm just sort of going on what I've heard from guys like Sam Vecini and other draft experts that's sort of where we've what we've heard from from those guys is that this draft sort of isn't very good and so you know parting with that Brooklyn pick isn't quite as egregious as it would be in, in another draft but certainly they'd have to know they'd have to have a really strong inkling that Drummond was interested in staying in Atlanta long term before they before they were to swap a, a first round pick for him how does your evaluation of the Brooklyn pick change with the Kyrie Irving injury news, because like that's something I'm concerned about. Because you know I have also been heard from heard that framework. I've also like been familiar with that. Um, if that Brooklyn pick is it's lottery protected this year, um, and it's also lottery protected, I think for the next two years, if I have that correct. And then, um, but like in the future, we expect Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to play for the Brooklyn Nets, and so that pick will likely be you know a much much lower pick. Um, how, do, how does your evaluation of that pick change now that we know that Kyrie Irving uh, might not play the rest of this year and that that pick uh, is probably it might it's probably going to convey, but it's not like 100 percent going to convey this season? It's not 100 percent to convey, but, you know, the Nets did just get back Karis LeVert. So that's going to really help them in terms of, of splitting the ball handling responsibilities with Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie was not necessarily even overmatched, but just probably overworked as the first, as the as the only primary ball handler. I mean, Garrett Temple was basically their backup point guard for the last few weeks. Like that's, that's a problem for them. But now that problem's sort of fixed as long as Levert can stay healthy, which is, you know, never a, a sure thing. But if, if, you know, as Levert, you know, continues to work his way back into the lineup, I think they can, they should be able to hold on to this, this playoff spot. They're two and a half games ahead of Charlotte. They're, you know, three full games ahead of Detroit. But of course, if Detroit is, you know, trading Andre Drummond and, you know, Blake Griffin seems like he's probably out for the season, you would expect Detroit to, to fall off. You know, Chicago, it doesn't exactly inspire anybody. Washington, and then you get down into the Knicks, the Cavs and the Hawks who are not, you know, even trying. So I would I would think that the Nets should be able to hold on to this 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 playoff spot. Really, the Hornets, you know, especially if, if assuming that the Detroit is trading Drummond, if they trade Drummond, perhaps that says something about whether they would be willing to trade, you know, guys like Derrick Rose, Langston Galloway, other guys who are having really good seasons for the Pistons, but don't maybe don't fit long term if they're going to go into a rebuild. That's a whole, you know, that depends on on where Detroit wants to go with their future. I think, you know, I, I would say that Brooklyn sh- it should be heavily favored to to hold on to that pick. They're, you know, they're playing about as as poorly as they possibly could right now. They've lost seven in a row. And they're still <laughs> yeah. in that playoff. You know, they're still two and a half games up on Charlotte. You would think that Charlotte should fall off at some point. Like Devontae Graham can't just keep hitting every shot for the rest of his life. Like he, you know, Graham's been great, but like, you know, at some point he's going to hit some sort of sophomore wall, maybe. And so, you know, I, I would think that, that Brooklyn with Levert coming back, you know, they'll, they'll have a, a better ball handler rotation. They should 
you know, be able to, to get, should be able to make the playoffs, not anything special. They're not good. They're certainly not going to be anything better than the seven seed, you know, cause the, the top six in the East is, is pretty much set. So I think it's, it's almost a, a perfect situation for a team like Detroit or Atlanta to just keep that pick and, you know, have a pick that, you know, is going to be somewhere in the sort of 15 to 19 range. And it really can't, it can't be much worse than that. And it's probably not going to, they're, they're not going to fall out of the playoffs. I don't think so. You know, it's, it's sort of a, it's as sure. It's not uh, ab- absolutely a sure thing, but it's, it's relatively close in my mind. Okay. Okay. If, if the trade was only Chandler Parsons and the Brooklyn pick for Andre Drummond, what would your expectations for the Hawks be the rest of the year? I mean, they're, they'd win a couple more games and they'd cost themselves some draft position, but like, that would be it. Like, I wouldn't expect them to like make a run at the eight seed or all of a sudden, you know, they're already, you know, whatever, almost, you know, eight and a half games back of the, of the eight seed. Like, you know, at that point there's, they're not, they're not going to do that. I don't think. And, you know, instead of winning 26 games, maybe they get to 30, 31, 32 games with Drummond helping clean up the glass with, you know, Drummond helping sort of, uh, you know, anchor their right. defense in a way. Maybe they win a few I'm, more yeah, games. Yeah, I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean like in terms of like wins and losses. I mean, in terms of like defensive improvement, offensive improvement, like on the floor, uh, not necessarily translating to wins and losses because, you know, you'd still be uh, playing a bunch of rookies and young guys, but in terms of like how much better the team would be cohesively, what would that look like? I mean, I think that would certainly make Trey Young happy, which would be good. You know, it would be something where they would show him that that things are are looking up. I mean, they're they're 29th in offense and 27th in defense as we sit here. You know, before the the Rockets game tonight. You know, I don't think that that's like I don't I, I don't see how Drummond you know really really improves on a lot of that, uh, especially on the defensive end, like he's going to help them on the, on the defensive glass, right? They're really, really bad at, uh, at defensive rebounding. He, sh- he will help in that regard. You know, he's going to help, you know, you, you, you know, he's a generational kind of rebounder, but he's, you know, he's, I think he's only captained or he's only been the, the, the centerpiece of a league average defense twice in the last six years, you know, or I think it's uh, twice in the last eight years. Let me look it up. Um, it's it's more than that. It was they were top. They were twelfth last year. I think they were tenth the year before that. They were I think they were twelfth again the year before that. Um, I think when he's on the floor, they've been okay. below average six of his eight years, including this okay. year. Um, okay, that was the thing. Yeah, he, when he, they're below average when he's on the floor, just slightly below average, but still, like you would if you're if you're trading for a guy like Drummond, the massive improvement that you want to make is on the defensive end. And you right. know, with his even with his rebounding and you know his size and shot blocking, and that hasn't necessarily translated to him being like a Rudy Gobert type anchor in the middle. And that I mean, if you if you're the Hawks and you're trading for him ahead of him opting out and wanting, you know, whatever 150 200 million dollars this summer, you you'd like him to be a lot closer to Rudy Gobert than he's been, you know. And so I think that's especially on a team with Trey Young who you know it needs to be surrounded with high-end defensive talent in order to just scrape by that's you know I think that's where that's the the hesitation I would have with uh, with trading for Drummond in particular okay okay how much do you think Andre Drummond gets in free agency this offseason whether that's from Atlanta 
whether that's from another team, how much do you think he's going to get? Not necessarily how much he's worth, but how much do you think he, he's going to get? I mean, he's certainly going to want a max contract. Like he's going to want, like even if he's even if he stays with Detroit the rest of this year, he's going to want thirty five million dollars next year. You know, and it's it's going to be the 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 three big teams with with space you, that you look at who might sort of go in for somebody like that are Atlanta and Memphis and and perhaps Charlotte and those those three teams that have a bunch in Cleveland had a bunch of space and then they made the Exum trade and that sort of takes them out of of you know the thirty five million dollar range unless they make a Kevin Love trade and that's all another thing but as of right now Atlanta Memphis Charlotte are the three teams with big space. New York can get there, but we'll see. And, and who knows what kind of decision-making is going on up there. But I think those three teams are pretty interesting because they're so similar. They have their guard that they want to sort of build around. John Morant in Memphis, Trey Young in Atlanta, and, and probably Devontae Graham in Charlotte. Like he's sort of, he's not on that, you know, their level as a prospect. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's close he's to pretty the good. He's, he's playing well enough that they can say, okay, we've got our point guard. Like Devontae Graham is going to be our guy. Terry Rozier is going to be our two. Now what? You know, they've got Miles Bridges. We'll see where he, you know, what happens with him. We'll see what happens with PJ Washington. But neither of those guys are centers. So you could say, you could look in the, you could look at that and be like, okay, maybe, maybe Charlotte wants to bring in Andre Drummond. Atlanta, of course, needs a center. They could, you know, we've been talking about that for a little bit here. Memphis has Jonas Valanciunas for the next couple of years, but he's a little bit older, doesn't really match Morant's, you know, long term time horizon. You know, Jaron Jackson Jr., you'd love for him to be a center. You'd love for him to have that sort of impact. But he's, you know, you know, can't stop fouling everybody and, and hasn't really shown that sort of level of, of defensive fortitude at the center position. He's played more four, and he's been, you know, wonderful offensively, but you may have to pair him with a traditional center. So those are the three teams with space that, you know, that might look at Drummond. Can, you know, can Drummond and his agent sort of play those teams against one another to get him a max contract. I don't know. I, I think he would probably fall just short of that. You know, I think that would, that would something, something in the range of like four for a hundred instead of, you know, four for whatever it would be like 150 at that range. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that makes a little bit more sense for what Drummond brings to the table, where he sort of ranks in the center hierarchy throughout the league. The fact that center in general is the position you don't want to invest in because of just the way that the league is going small. You know, I think the, that those are the sorts of things that are working against Drummond. But, you know, with three teams who all sort of theoretically could be vying for his services, plus Detroit, maybe if he's still there and, and they want to bring him back. But, you know, who knows? Maybe at least Drummond's agent could play it off like Detroit was interested, maybe. Um, you know, I think you could you could see him getting into maybe like the, the four for 120, four for 130 kind of range. Okay. The for everything it's worth, the Detroit uh, media reporting has been unified that like they will get a deal done for Andre Drummond before the trade deadline. So I, I don't he I don't think and he said uh, he said in public comments that like he didn't mind Detroit, he wouldn't mind staying, but the it does sound like again like a deal will get done, and so I doubt uh, his, his agent will be able to use. <laughs> Uh, Detroit okay. is kind of like a, a bargaining tool. So, uh, so that limits. that makes that interesting because if he if a team invests in like invests real assets to trade for him, then there's a lot of pressure on that team to bring him back, and that's a right. lot of negotiating power that is given to Drummond and his agent. 
if you're Atlanta and you trade a first round pick to get three months of Andre Drummond, that's a, that's a mistake. If Drummond walks, that's a mistake that can get you fired as a GM because it's just such bad publicity for you to trade a first round pick for a three month rental for a team that is already at the bottom of the standings and is going nowhere this year. And, and then he walks in free agency. Like that's really bad. You know, for a for a team like Memphis, that makes a little bit more sense because they might even push into the playoffs this year, the way that they're playing and the way that the bottom of the West is, is not as great. But you know, for a team like Atlanta, you can't do that without knowing that Drummond is coming back. And you, if you're Drummond's agent, you know that they know that, and you can, you know, that's where you might see him push into the four for one fifty. Or at that point, if he's already, if he's got their, you know, if he's with them and has, you know, full bird rights, you're looking at, you know, five years, one hundred and seventy-five, five years, one hundred and eighty. Like you're looking at something like that, where, you know, which would probably be a bad contract almost immediately, but because a team invested in him at the deadline, they that would give Drummond a ton more power in that uh, negotiating process come summertime. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's fair. What would the what would the other center options alternatives for the Hawks be? Right? I like I don't there aren't a lot of centers like theorized to be available on the trade market and the the Clippers are gonna need a center um, you hear you hear uh, about Boston needing a center. Um, you got I think you've got like Serge Ibaka and Marcus Saul expiring, but neither of those guys really fits Trey Young's timeline and the in the timeline of the Hawks accordingly. It's like what what other what other options at center do you think the Hawks would be looking at in the summer? I mean, I think the the big name is is Derek Favors. He you know he went to college in Atlanta. Oh yeah, local boy, local boy has has that local connection. You know he's got some injury issues. Like that would be a, a a thing for them to contend with. But he probably comes cheaper than Andre Drummond. He's you know he's a couple years older. He's he's twenty eight, and so that would be you know there there would be a little bit of hesitation perhaps on on that front. Outside of that, I mean, there's not a ton of like of high-end center prospects, you know, coming off of the, uh, off of the free agent market. And that's where, that's where perhaps they use one of those, those top picks that they have, whether it's their own pick or, or Brooklyn's pick to invest in a center out of the draft. Is that a good idea? Is that guy going to be, is that guy going to be able to catch up to where the Hawks want to be next year, the year after, is he going to be ready for that? Is it something where they, you know, try to use the number four pick in the draft to trade for somebody in the summertime where they don't have to match salary because the Hawks are going to have, you know, $70 million in cap space. So they can just take somebody in for that number four pick, package something around a number four pick to go after even a, a, a super big name. I mean, I know as unhappy as Carl Anthony Towns is like he's, I can't imagine that Minnesota is looking to move him for almost anything. He's got four years left on his contract after this one, you know, even, you know, a guy like Joel Embiid, I think if, if Philly decides like this isn't working, I don't think Embiid is going to be the fall guy there. It seems like Ben Simmons is going to probably be the fall guy there. So I don't know where, where that, you know, big center trade comes from in the summer, but, you know, I think maybe, you know, you, you look at where Schlenk came from and then the success that they had in Golden State and the, the success of teams around the league, not necessarily having a traditional center. And maybe Schlenk goes like, you know, we can survive by trying to find Aaron Baines for $5 million or try, you know, trying to find, you know, Rashawn Holmes in Sacramento is playing really well. The guys like that who is, who are, you can pay three centers 
five to seven, you know, $7 million a piece and just hope one of them pops and, and, you know, play that route rather than going 25 million plus for, for a big name center. Okay. Okay. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about is the apparent uh, burgeoning friendship between Trey Young and yeah. Andre Drummond. Uh, personally, I think it's a little, actually, let me just, I just want to ask you, like, is, is it a little weird that a guy that's in his second year is able to influence front office decision-making in this way? Like you don't normally see guys in their second year be like, bring, bring this guy to me or bring me this type of player. Like we need to improve, uh, like our, our team. Like you don't, you don't normally see guys in their second year, like already making demands of the front office, you know? Yeah. But that's, I mean, that's Trey Young's thing. It's not necessarily like that's, it's not something that he's going to do extensively or anything like that. I think it was something, I think it's something that he would like to do. He's very competitive. He wants to win. He wants to win immediately. He doesn't have the sort of long-term outlook that hopeful, that Schlenk definitely has and hopefully Tony Ressler has, you know, from, from their perspective, I, I would hope that he has learned from his impatience, especially with the Dwight thing that, you know, perhaps, you know, going through the process of actually building the team and not trying to take shortcuts is important. I understand that a guy like Trey Young doesn't totally get that or want that at 20 years old and the second year in the league and has, you know, been nothing, you know, has, has been on two losing teams in a row, despite, you know, putting up these massive, massive numbers, you know, and he's probably going to be an all-star. I would think he's going to be an all-star this year. If not, he'll be very close. He's you know playing at that kind of level, especially offensively. I don't blame him for trying to sort of push things in one direction or the other. The, the blatant nature with which he tries to do that publicly is, is just kind of funny more than anything. Um, but I don't know from inside the Hawks front office, how much power that actually has versus him just sort of being, there to voice his opinion, but it not really, you know, mattering all that much. Gotcha. Okay. That makes, that makes a lot more sense because again, like, uh, guys in both guys in their second year don't really do that. And he's under contract for a long time and you've got his restricted free agency, rights. So even if he's unhappy, there's not much you can do about it. If yeah. you're Trey. I mean, so Trey, that, you gotta know that like the way the world works, this is, you know, he can, he can lobby the front office as much as he wants and he can be, he can play the, like I'm a star player card. But in reality, like, I don't know that that actually has a ton of, of sway with the front office. Maybe it does. And that would also be fine. Like you have to build around the guy that you've got, you know, we've seen stars in small markets itch to leave because they weren't either consulted enough or the team wasn't good enough around them. And if Trey has a big say in the front office decisions, and then things go wrong or, you know, whether things go wrong or right, there's a little bit of a, hey, we built this team for you. You were part of the decision making process and now you're going to leave like that's that can be a a powerful sort of negotiating tool when it comes time for him to, you know, either itch for a trade or, or hit unrestricted free agency in whatever, six and a half years from now. No, no, absolutely. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about more about the the young players on the Hawks, the guys who I guess we're supposed to be better than this and result in more winning this year for the Hawks. Uh, you know, they had two top 10 picks, uh, neither of whom has greatly impressed. 
Like, what what has your impression been of uh, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish? I mean, for me, Hunter has been pretty much as advertised. You know, it would be nice if he hit some more of his shots, and you know, he's not necessarily the like on ball wing stopper, but he's a rookie. Like, I don't, you know, I wasn't expecting him to come in and make an all defensive team in his first year. Like, he'll grow into that role. He's, you know, a pretty good team defender, pretty good one on one defender. Not, you know, still doesn't like make plays defensively. He's just more sort of solid. And he's, you know, I think he's not somebody who, you know, has a, a massive upside on that end, but has, you know, some upside to explore. Offensively, you know, he can dribble with his right hand and can shoot from three and can can throw some nice, you know, one-handed, uh, right-handed passes out of pick and roll and stuff. They're giving him some more sort of playmaking responsibility. He doesn't have a, a super well-rounded game. He's not necessarily a secondary creator type yet, but they're giving him those reps to try to develop that part of his game. I think that's fine. That's, you know, that's sort of the the way that you should develop wings in this NBA and sort of the modern NBA, even if you're going to have Trey Young be the, the, the star around which everything sort of orbits, you still need guys who can make plays off the dribble. And I think they're trying to sort of develop Hunter in that mold. I think he'll be able to, he'll be able to, to rein in some of his shot selection issues. Like he loves to take a one dribble pull up from, you know, 18 feet. And like, you're going to need to sort of coax that out of him, you know, at some point in the next few years. But I don't think, I think that he's, he's been pretty much as advertised. The problem is, is that the advertisement wasn't that interesting to begin with. Uh, you know, that was not somebody that you want to trade eight, 17, 35 and a future pick for like, that doesn't make sense and take on $12 million of Solomon Hill. The fact is, is that they, that like what I was saying about Schlenk earlier, where he sometimes doesn't value trades correctly, he that he really sort of messed, I think, messed up the value of, of the Hunter trade. And that's, you know, that's part of it. And so, but now that Hunter's in the team and now that that trade's sort of behind them, he's been sort of as advertised. 3 and D still developing as sort of a creative type of player, has some some foibles and needs to grow just sort of as a uh, as an overall you know, NBA level uh, defender and uh, creator. And then uh, Cam Reddish. Reddish has been awful. I mean, it's it's not awful, <laughs> awful. Like it's not like oh my god, this guy cannot play NBA basketball. But it's not super far above that. Like he cannot. Sh- he, he he hasn't been able to shoot. Went through a really long stretch where he just couldn't make anything. Has looks like he should be an NBA level athlete, but absolutely isn't like he can barely jump over a phone book. He, you know, he doesn't have strong hands. He goes to the rim and the ball just doesn't even, it's not like he goes to the rim and misses over contact. If the ball will just fall out of his hands as he's going up. And it's like, that's not good. You know, your hands aren't going to get any bigger as, as he grows into, you know, grows over these next few years. So that's going to be a problem. Like he doesn't, he can't challenge guys at the rim when he when he you know drives off of a spot up or whatever because he just doesn't get high enough to do that like unless he's going to develop some sort of preternatural touch you know you, there are guys who can do that but they usually have that touch from the very beginning you know Trey Young has this floater game that immediately last year as soon as he walked into the league he had one of the best floaters in the game you know Kyrie Irving has just phenomenal touch and he had that going all the way back to Duke Cam Reddish has very little touch going to the basket. The ball just falls out of his hands so much of the time. And he doesn't have that sort of explosive athleticism to finish over guys. How does that sort of affect his, his 
offensive value long-term, it kind of probably makes him into a jump shooter. And that means he's going to have to hit some shots at some point. So I think, I mean, the offense really at this point couldn't be much worse than it is. And that's just, I mean, it's unfortunate, but that's sort of the way it is. Like it's, it's sort of, it should have been known, I think, you know, going into the draft that he was not a great athlete and that it was going to take time for him to develop some sort of offensive skill so that he could bring value on that end of the floor. Well, if I remember correctly, he didn't, he didn't do the combine, right? So we, we didn't, he didn't have... do anything because he got hurt. Uh, he got hurt and had that, that core muscle injury and had right. to go through a, a bunch of rehab for that. So he didn't do the combine. He didn't do really, he didn't, I don't think he even like did uh, private workouts for teams cause he was hurt during that process. So, you know, he was very much a, an unknown, very much a guy coasting on his high school reputation. Cause his, you know, his time at Duke was awful as well. You know, he was yep. one of the worst college players in the, in the, in the country last year. And, but had this reputation as being a, a big time athlete who could, you know, who could really step in at the NBA level. And that unfortunately just really hasn't been the, uh, the case so far. Okay. So th- this is what I am. Th- well, let me ask you first, how given Cam Reddish's play so far this season, how highly do you think he is valued in the front office and by the coaching staff? I would imagine he's still valued relatively highly because as much as we just talked about how bad his, his offense is, his defense is already like pretty good. Like he's probably just below a league average defender already. Like he's a, he's a good defender. Like he's a, he's a more of a defensive prospect than an offensive prospect at this point, which might surprise some people, but he is a good team defender. He's really long and he can, He's smart and he sees passing, you know, he sees passes before they're made. He rotates well. And they're even using him as like an on-ball point guard defender, you know, because Trey can't do a lot of that stuff because he's just too small to do anything really defensively. They're putting Trey, they're putting Cam on, you know, the the, the opposing guard, the, the best opposing guard on the other team. Like he'll guard, if, he, if they're playing the Nets, he'll guard Spencer Dinwiddie. If they're playing, you know, they're playing the Rockets tonight, I would imagine that he's going to get the, the, the call for, for James Harden. Like those are the, he's able to get through screens. Those are the kind of guys he can guard. He can, you know, he can bother them from behind with his length, which has sort of led Atlanta to play a much more conservative defensive style this year. They're not as aggressive trapping the ball as they have been in previous seasons. They're able to sort of push their centers back toward the paint, play this sort of more modern, sort of more modern, but more conservative defensive style at the same time, very much a trying to force teams into taking mid-range jump shots. And when Cam Reddish is using his length to contest from behind, that's helpful. That's much better than having Trey Young try to do it because he can't do that. So I think Reddish, as bad as he's been offensively, it's been almost the opposite defensively. He's been better than advertised. He's been better than anticipated. And for that reason, I think they think that he can come around offensively. So I imagine he's still valued relatively highly within the front office. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And it assages some of my fears. My, my thinking was that uh, the, the general consensus is that uh, among like Pistons fans is that uh, Parsons and a pick like isn't enough for Andre Drummond. And so I was estimating that uh, Atlanta would throw in, whichever of the wings they took this year that they liked least uh, that looks to be reddish because like you talked about the, the offensive struggles and the offensive struggles, you know, concerned me greatly 
because he has a similar offensive profile as a guy the Pistons just got done uh, trading for for nothing in Stanley Johnson. And that was a very frustrating experience, one I'm not like very eager to repeat. But if they if the front office if he's playing well defensively and the front office and coaching staff still believes he can turn it around on offense, then uh, maybe he's still valued highly enough to not be put in the deal. That makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine that they're going to actively look to add him in. I think, and I, I mean, especially the fact that Drummond could just opt out and walk this summer without any assurance. Like, unless you have just a an ironclad assurance. Well, you, can, him. you can always do like the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'll, or you can even do the CP3, like I'll opt into the final year and we could, you know, yeah, extend Yeah, I mean, it would that. have to be something like that or else it, you know, including... I mean, even including the Brooklyn pick without absolute assurance that he's going to return, at least opt in for next year, if not on a longer term deal. I don't think you can you can do that. And that's certainly not, you know, adding Reddish on top of that. OK, OK. No, I mean, thank you for thank you for everything, Jeff. Like you've been uh, super uh, generous with your time and uh, and like very knowledgeable. I really appreciate it. I'll let people know where they can find you, how they can best uh, support you and your work. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel. You can follow Early Bird Rights if you're just looking for sort of the Early Bird Rights stuff over at Early Bird Rights. Uh, Earlybirdrights.com is your home for salary cap sheets, trade analysis, signings analysis, all of that stuff is, is going over there. We've got another big time project that we've been working on for about six months now, maybe five months now, that uh, was supposed to launch before the start of the season and clearly has, has not done that and has been pushed back. So I'm not going to give any sort of uh, deadline on when that will be out, but that's going to be out soon. And that's going to be another feature sort of similar to the salary cap stuff where it's going to be something that you can check back on pretty much every day and just sort of look at uh, what's going on around the league. And so I think that's, uh, that's going to add a lot of value to your experience over at the, at the website. Uh, you can read my stuff over at Peachtree Hoops. If you're interested in the Hawks, at least for another few months, I'm out in California. So this whole, you know, California bill thing is going to affect me. But even when I am, am out at Peachtree Hoops at the end of March, you can still read about them. That's still the best place on the internet to read about the Hawks if you're interested in that, whether Andre Drummond is on the team or not. They are, uh, I think Peachtree Hoops does the does the best job of, of covering the team, both from a, a news and analysis point of view. So if you're interested in that, that's uh, where you can find a lot of my work uh, on the uh, Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, I suspect that Andre Drummond will be a Hawk sooner rather than later. And so if you if you Pistons fan want to continue to check in on Andre Drummond, as I suspect I will, Peachtree Hawk, Peachtree Hoops is probably the best place to do that. Just absolutely. Uh, of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, if you have questions or comments or feedback, you can leave a review on iTunes. You can email the podcast at Pistons versus everybody at gmail.com. That's Pistons vs. everybody, all one word, at gmail.com. All right, this has been the Pistons versus everybody podcast, and we will talk to y'all next week.